0: what is this puberty thing like?
1: And he had all this hair, it was like, oh my God. And he said, why'd you say, oh my God? And I said, cause oh my God, that wasn't there last week. And then at 10 and a half, she got her first period, which was quite a surprise to me cause I was a very late developer and I thought she would be too. Welcome to Planet Puberty, where we launch into the mood swing Milky Way, float by the BO black hole and gaze with wonder at the menstruation constellation. Puberty can be a tough time for all young people, but for kids with intellectual disability and autism, it can be even harder for both them and their parents and carers. Each episode, we try to make puberty less of a bumpy ride by chatting to parents and carers about their experience of supporting a child with disability through puberty. We also talk with professionals about tips and tricks you can use to help you and your child navigate this new world. My name is Katie, and I will be your guide as each episode, we delve into a new and exciting puberty topic. This episode, we're talking about relationships. We chat with Joe about his experience with supporting his son to make new relationships and expand his social circles as he goes through puberty. We will talk about some of the challenges they have faced and some of the things that he has found helpful in building his son's social skills and confidence to meet new people. We will also talk to relationships counsellor, sexologist and love on the spectrum personality, Jody Rogers. Jody will be answering questions about relationships and social skills sent in by parents and carers from all over the country. But first, let's hear from Joe. Hello, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today.
0: Oh, hello. Hello. It's nice to be here. To meet
1: you. <laughs> We're really pleased to have you um, speaking to us today. Can you start us off um, by telling us a little bit about yourself and your son?
0: Oh, so um, I'm a single father and... My, my son is thirteen. Uh, he's uh, he's disabled. He has a um, both a physical and intellectual disability, and um, we, uh, we 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 get along really really well. And he 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 loves school, which is such a good thing. And um, we I, f- I feel very lucky being a parent to my son.
1: That's really lovely. And does he have um, any special talents or or things that he particularly loves that you can tell us about?
0: I I think a talent that one of the greatest talents is he has is just he's in positive imagination. He's so positive, and he's just got a great imagination, and um, and he will just think you know he he'll, he'll believe anything, and anything's possible. And he'll come up with wonderful stories and ideas. And I love that about him because as a parent, sometimes you forget, you know, it's, it's important to be creative and you use your imagination because you get lost in the mundane. So it kind of like, you know, uh, sort of like adjusts me while I'm being a parent, which is really good.
1: It's so wonderful that you have that relationship with your son where he can bring that that joy and that childlike wonder to you
0: yes definitely
1: so you're here to talk to us today uh, about your son and some of the changes that you've noticed him going through as puberty starts Um, now we all know puberty is a big time of change but generally when we think about these changes we tend to focus on the physical side of things so like the hair growth and the getting taller and the changes in voice and all that kind of stuff um, but this has been a little bit different for your son, so you've noticed some other changes first. um can you tell me a little bit about that?
0: Yeah, before the physical changes he 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 suddenly became shy, and that was so out of character for him like he he would talk to anybody, and I actually had to you know talk to him many times as to you know how he approached people and why it wasn't you know safe to always go talk to somebody you know because he didn't he always saw it as he was always said well I can talk to anybody why can't I which is a beautiful thing um so for him to come back and and suddenly like I asked him at Woolworths could you ask that lady the one of the Woolworths staff um about this and he was like no, and I was like, "What?" And you could see he was all shy about it. So, you know, and it it and it took me a couple of days because I'm trying to figure out what what was that about. And then I realized he's entering puberty, like he he he's he's starting to, you know, there's a there's that big change. And following on that, also too, he he asked me like um uh what is a girlfriend and I was like whoa where did that come from you know that was completely new he was never talking about girls or dating or anything like that you know so yeah that that's how i kind of realized wow like i was expecting to see the physical changes first um and then when i saw that i, I was like whoa, I, I better start working this out so I can help him during this time.
1: Yeah, which is, you know, super interesting um, because, you know, those those social changes are so important and, and such a big change at puberty. But as I said, yeah, people tend to really focus on, on the physical side of things. Um, so in some ways I think, you know, it's kind of nice that that, has been the first thing that you've noticed because it's sort of brought it to the the forefront um, instead of sort of being overshadowed by by all those physical changes?
0: Mm, yeah, I agree.
1: And has he noticed um, any of his classmates sort of going through puberty or is he one of the first, do you
0: think? Uh, I, I don't – I'm not sure if he's noticed. I think – I, I think he he has noticed that everyone is changing, but he 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 hasn't really worked out that it's puberty. But he has said that things are getting different. You know, I think he's probably thinking like, "What are they going to think about me?" Or or there's something going on there. You know, um, that's stopping him from doing that. So what what I've been doing is I've been I'll say to him, oh. Just, just wait here. I'm just going to talk to this stranger, and then um, I'll come back and I say, "See that person there? That person was a stranger, but I was able to approach the stranger and talk to them about something. Let's say, where is the chips in this aisle? And um, and so it's not so hard to to approach strangers and ask them some questions if you he need help. So because I really found that out a, while, a couple of years back that he models off me. So if I model pos- positive behaviours, he'll do the same. And and that that's one of the things that I learned kind of, you know, I was like, oh, I've got to be careful what I do now because he's really modelling me. So th- <laughs> that's how I've approached that situation to help him like, work through that shyness, that adolescent, that puberty has brought to him.:
1: Yeah, so you're sort of uh, using yourself as a model, which is, is wonderful, um, and just sort of showing him the different steps that you can use to overcome the shyness and, and start a conversation with somebody. Um, is there anything that you've been doing as far as like helping him connect with his peers?
0: So there are several things um, because I find that it's a very complicated um, thing in regards to him connecting with his peers. So what I've been doing is I'll talk to the uh, the parents of the kids in his class and I'll try to arrange a play date. Um, uh, that way he doesn't have to initiate so much of the contact. It's already done behind the scenes for him. And because of his disability, he struggles with that communication. So it helps him along as an icebreaker and it also helps him along during puberty just to get to know other kids. The The other thing that I'm setting up for him is to become, um, to work at my my friend's store as a store greeter for about 10 minutes like saying um, hello good morning thank you for coming if there's anything I can help you with please ask just to help him realize that that it's not so scary out there talking to strangers and and also that helps him a little bit for the future, when he goes to look for a job, I'm not expecting him now to go for a job, and that's not why I'm doing this. But what I'm doing it is more just to help him to relate to the greater community. And the other one is is that I I I'm soon going to approach um, the local police station here and ask them to spend about 10 minutes of their time, and I'm sure they would because they're very, they're, they're always looking for that interaction with the public, so if they could spend 10 minutes talking to him about their their job, you know, what do they do, um, their, you know, the equipment they use or, you know, the uniform or how their job is, how they like it and things like that. So he he feels a bit less worried about about uh, meeting strangers and being shy.
1: That sounds absolutely wonderful, Joe. <laughs> um, and with the police as well, I mean that's a great way for him to um, feel more comfortable. So if he did need to you know talk to the police or, or ask for help that he would feel comfortable in, in doing that. So at the beginning of our interview, you mentioned uh, your son talking a bit about girlfriends. Um, so I know that at puberty, um, some kids can struggle a bit with identifying all these new types of relationships that start to happen, you know, crushes happen and, you know, it's a whole new set of skills and, and feelings that need to be navigated. Um, how, how have you and your son been going with this side of things?
0: So this has been another complicated matter, especially for me. He's he's finding it complicated, but I've really found it complicated because he because my son, uh, in his communication, it's very difficult for him to express what he means, and and plus it's difficult for him to understand the situation. He's he's misunderstood some things, so. We were talking one day in a casual conversation and I realized that I I have to talk to him about puberty and girls and dating in small bits. I can't just say, sit down, we're going to learn about this. Uh, Like a couple of minutes each day, I have to spend talking about different aspects. So I said to him, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about having a girlfriend, and he said to me, oh, don't worry about it. I already had a girlfriend. I know all about it, and I was like, I'm thinking to myself, what? How did I miss this? He's never come home and told me he had a girlfriend. So um, because of his disability, That conversation, I I couldn't address that conversation right there. I had to wait a couple of days and start getting more of the story. So, over the two weeks, the story came out, which was the girl had said to him, We, we, I am no longer your friend. So my son miscommunicated and he interpret oh sorry, he interpreted in his head that she said to him, I was your girlfriend, but I'm not your girlfriend anymore. Right, so, okay. <laughs> so that's a huge misunderstanding. And and I couldn't tell him immediately and say to him, hey. She wasn't your girlfriend. She, you weren't dating, as such. She was just a friend. I had to tell him slowly so he would understand the huge concepts that because they're they're big concepts to him, and and complicated concepts, and he thinks they're simple complex uh, concepts. But I have to address it slowly. So I had to backtrack and talk about what a stranger was, what an acquaintance is, what someone that you see sometimes is. Um, You know, the different types of friendships that you have, like a teacher is your friend but not a best friend or what is a best friend and then gradually help him understand how the line is crossed into someone you're dating.
1: Mm, Okay, so like a very, a slowly, slowly approach where you just introduce a little bit more information at a time.
0: Yes, yes. I I couldn't, if I had done it all completely, it would have gone over him and worse, he would have understood it in a different manner to which I was trying to explain it. and that's worse because his definition would be even more confused mm. and and my son learns in an environment that's calm so and and happy and friendly and fun so i have to try and always remember that to keep that environment when i'm explaining things to him because he gets he gets really overstimulated, um, and I have to bring that down more for him to be able to understand things better.
1: And I mean, as you said, this, these are quite big concepts that you're you're trying to teach your son. Were there any resources or, or support networks that you found helpful in in supporting you to do this?
0: I've been very lucky to have. I think, a lot. So I have some friends that have disabled children and they have been amazing. Even though our kids don't have the same disability, we're actually still going in the same direction together. So there's a lot of similarities and and, and they... I have I honestly even for, at the beginning I felt even now uh, four years into this I, I still feel like there's so many things I I don't know so talking to other parents um, and and asking them for ideas or explaining to them, this has happened what do you think it has just been so helpful um, from there. Um, Facebook groups, there's a lot of disability Facebook groups out there, and they're absolutely life changing, wonderful. They 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 just open up a a wealth of resources and helpful and knowledge that can help you so well, that has helped me and my, my son so much. So you've got all these wonderful supports.
1: Looking towards the future, do you think you'll be supporting your son with meeting potential partners and things like that? Is that something that you'd like to you yourselves to work towards?
0: Yes. I I realized a little bit too late that I need to be in that space to help my son along in those milestones of of building first a friendship and what that friendship means. And um, and you know, puppy love and and a crush, what that means for him and him working through those emotions. and it's more complicated for him because of his disability. So I I have to be in there, understanding it from his point of view, on how he's feeling and and, and slowly working with him in a non-intrusive way so he doesn't feel I'm all in his, you know, his life. Um, And, yeah, what what I have actually started to do is I'm lucky that my friend has a daughter the same age. So I had a talk to um, her father and I said, um, can, can they go out sometime to watch a movie? Not as date." just to get to know each other, not as like get to know each other then date, but just as so he gets familiar with being with girls and he feels comfortable and he builds the appropriate behaviour when he's around girls because I feel that even if he wasn't disabled, uh, boys don't have that opportunity to spend time with a, a, a girl her, his own age um, in a safe environment, building that uh, that communication skills and that rep, re, relationship skills.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that generally that would be really helpful for a lot of young people to have. You know that that positive experience and, and interaction before sort of the the awkwardness and the expectations. Yeah. Um, of relationships come along.
0: Yeah, exactly right. right.
1: And I've got my last question for you, Joe, is are you looking forward to the next chapter of your son's puberty journey?
0: I am. I I really am. I'm, I'm really excited to see him, you know, eventually maybe find his crush and lose his crush. I know that sounds a bit negative, but because it's all about growing up. You know, and then in the future, him dating and him getting married—I really look forward to those things. It's a—it's a beautiful thing, um, and it's—I feel proud and about that time to be able and honored to share that time with my son. So I am really looking forward to it. That's wonderful. Uh, well
1: thank you so much for taking time to speak to us today, Joe and and to share yours and, and your son's experience with us. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much for your time today.
1: There are a lot of changes that happen at puberty. This can include changes to relationships and social expectations. It's normal for children going through puberty to want more independence, to find new friends, fall out with old ones, and to start thinking about if they want a boyfriend or a girlfriend. This is also the case for children with intellectual disability and autism. However, they may require more support and preparation to build their independence, make new relationships, and deal with the social changes of puberty. This can be a time of uncertainty for parents and carers, As they begin to think about their child's relationship and social skills and how they will safely make new relationships as they grow into an adult. To alleviate some of these worries we chatted with relationship counsellor and sexologist Jodie Rogers. We asked Jodie to answer some of the most popular relationship related questions sent in by parents and carers from across the country. Welcome Jodie. Hi, how are you going? Good, thank you. We're really pleased to have you with us today. Um, To start us off, can you tell us a little bit about the work you do at Birds and Bees? Yeah, so Birds and Bees is a a private practice and I'm a
2: qualified sexologist and counsellor, apart from having a parcel off in teaching and special ed. But so what Birds and Bees is about, it supports any person with sort of new, you know, diverse neurology or learning style or communication in providing um, counselling and psychosexual education, just in any area to do with sexuality and relationships. So all of my clients, every single one of them, may you know communicate in a differing way or may need support with their learning styles, um, but you know, giving really good, high quality sexuality counselling for
1: people yeah yeah that's great I mean it's such an area of need Um, you know the people that we talk to parents and carers we hear all the time how much they're wanting to engage with a counsellor or or somebody to help give them and their child a bit of direction in the area of of relationships and sexuality because it can be a bit daunting for people Oh, really daunting. You
2: know, I think I forget sometimes because when you're a sexologist, that means you have a master's degree qualification in, you know, sexuality. So I forget that when I talk about sexuality in relationships, it's my day-to-day business and so I'm very confident and comfortable with it. But we've got to forget that lots of the community, this is really hard conversations and particularly hard If you're trying to help somebody that might have difficulties with their communication or their comprehension or their understanding of concepts, um, it's a really difficult thing to support people in that area if you don't have your own
1: level of comfort. Definitely. Now, we are hoping to tap into some of your vast experience and knowledge today. We've had some parents and carers send in some questions around relationships and building social skills. Are you happy if we jump straight into those? No problem. Okay, so our first question is from Renee from South Australia. Renee has said, my child is now a young teenager and I would like to start encouraging him to expand his social circles and make some friends. I think this is a really important part of helping him to become more independent, but he seems content to just spend his time with the family. How can I help him to expand his comfort zone to make friends? I well, know It's a good question, isn't it? There's two
2: things that make it sort of a little bit complex when you get a generalised question. So when somebody says a young teenager, I immediately go into sort of a developmental model and go, hmm, I wonder how old this young person is, and then also no understanding of, you know, whether this person has an intellectual disability, is on the autism spectrum. So I'm just going to be able to answer things sort of quite in a general way. Well, I think one of the things you have got to remember, autistic people often have got what we call their... You know, their way of moving through the world sometimes socially they can be not sort of following the same typical development as their peers. So sometimes when you're talking about somebody who's in their early teenage years, their social skill development or their social um, need can be not quite, you know, if they're 13 or 14, a 13 or 14 year old really gravitates to a big peer group at that age, but sometimes people with intellectual disability or autistic people can be a little bit behind on that so we've also got to remember that we've um, that we have to really think about a person's comfort level and where they're sitting with their own independence but the biggest thing I always say to people is you've got to think about how we all make friends and how we all make friends is is by being in a, a area where we have a similar interest so either if the young person's at school supporting them to then develop friends with people at school by inviting those friends home on the weekend because the young person may not have the skills themselves to say oh hey bobby you want to come over and hang out with me on the weekend so the parents really need to support that uh, friendship Outside of school hours, if that's their main place where they meet people, or really following a person's, um, a person's interest. So, if your child is really into sport, get involved with the sport. If your child's really involved in music. You know, get them involved in music and involved in art and find places where there's same age peers because one of the funny things I often see is that people will say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to get my um, child into this group but then the group actually is filled with people in their 40s and the young person's 14. So um, that does that's not really, you know, what you want to do. But the best thing that you can do is really think about how do we all make friends? And it is these steps to relationship. One, you meet someone in an in an activity or school or in that space and then it's taking the next step. So friendship is based on, I call it two places. You so say you can have activity friends, like they're my school friend, they're my soccer friend, they're my music friend. But friendship is actually when we start crossing over and seeing people in multiple different spaces. So they're my friend because they come and hang out with me at home after school. And sometimes families and caregivers have to be the ones that support that next step in
1: friendship. Yeah, absolutely. Early teen years can be quite awkward for most kids. Um, there's a lot mm. of changes happening and I guess that sort of shyness starts to creep in as well, you know, feeling more self-conscious and and perhaps not feeling as comfortable to be able to reach out to other people because you're not feeling as comfortable in yourself. Mm. And you've got to
2: think about, you know, the teen years are very, very complex and one of the things I always say to people is, does your child, I don't even do this with children, I do this with everybody, can they actually initiate? And we're not talking about initiate, can they actually strike up a conversation with somebody? Do they have the confidence and the self-esteem to be able to say to a friend, come and join in with me, you know, come and do these things with me? Because self-esteem is essential for young people. And we've got to remember that a lot of people with a disability, their, their self-image and self-esteem is really impacted on not having really a lot of great role models or their vision of themselves. And so it's really integral that we support young people to see themselves as you know, all young people, I'm not just talking about people with disability, all teenagers in those early years are going through more changes in their bodies. The only other time we have that amount of change is when we're between zero and two, I think. So they're really, you know, turning into a different person. So supporting them during that couple of years to feel good about themselves is really um, a necessary thing for people to do.
1: Yeah. And what are what are some ways that you would suggest sort of building that self-esteem? Um,
2: constantly well you know I do a lot of se- because what people don't understand is self-esteem is also integral for protective behaviors so if you feel good and strong within yourself then you're more likely to be able to understand that you can say no to somebody else or you're not following somebody else's lead all the time you're not they vulnerable to following somebody's need so it's really making sure that A young person is able to state what am I good at? What are the things that I you know? Why am I loved? What do other people like about me? Um, and and talking on a daily basis with them, tell me the things that are good about you. Tell me the things that you love. Tell me that because if we keep reciting on a daily basis the stuff that we're good at, that we actually hold that as almost a mantra about ourselves. Mm, I like that. Yeah. So I work every young person that I work with. I embed self-esteem, body image, um, self-reflection, all of that is part of the counselling process.
1: Which is fantastic because I think when people talk about supporting their child to make new relationships, they can sometimes really focus on the skills-based stuff like social skills and can sometimes forget that you know, having self-esteem really is the bedrock for having good relationships. Uh, our next question is from Lee in Queensland Lee says, my daughter is very social and will make friends with everyone. In recent years, she has wanted to be more and more independent. She wants to go to the shops with friends and go to the park by herself. We've done a lot of work with her about trusted people and appropriate touch, but I worry that she might forget this in a situation where she's on her own or with a group of friends. How can I help her to be independent and still keep her safe?
2: Do you know what? The, do you know the words I read when you were just saying that? The things that I heard most is that that parent Lee, I think, had said, mm-hmm. um, "We have done a lot of work with her about this already." So, <laughs> you know, you've got to, that, that's that's really proactive and and brilliant. And I know that people really really worry about the vulnerability of people with a disability when they're independent in the community. But I've got to say. All the research says there's two things that leave somebody with particularly an intellectual disability vulnerable, and it's education and lack of education. So we know that if somebody it doesn't receive education about sexuality and relationships, that leaves them vulnerable to abuse. But it also leaves people vulnerable to offending, because we've also got to remember that there's um, a lot of people who haven't received sexuality education and it leaves them vulnerable for breaking the law because they don't know how things are. The fundamental thing in all of this is that every person has a right to really comprehensive sexuality and relationship education and Lee sounds like she's doing a really, really good job. You know, she's already saying, um, you know, we've done a lot of work in about who, who we can trust and about appropriate touch with other people and it's that fine line as a parent to know and we've all got to do it, all parents have to do it. We you can you have to educate and guide as much as you can. And then at a certain point you've just got to trust and stand back and allow your young person to give it a go. And in the disability professional world we call that dignity of risk. That we've every person, if we don't allow them to actually try it, to give it a go. Then how are they ever going to know for themselves that you know? I don't know what this, what Lee's been doing or the family's been doing to um, talk to this young person. But it's really once again this great programs like, well, the circles program, which everybody probably in the disability field knows, which is about. You know, who do we touch? How do we touch them? What do, you know, like we, you can set that circle program up individually for people. I also use the um, SoSafe program, which I modify for every person, which is about how do we develop steps of relationships, really looking at when if, if she's, if it's about trusting people and appropriate touch, then it's really going back to the very, very basics to talk about how do we touch another person? Who do we, Who do we touch? How do we touch them? And, and definitely consent education, which is really big in the media at the moment, but, you know, learning about consent starts when somebody's four or three, or you know, and, and it's stuff that we need to keep teaching as a lifelong thing. It's not about just age of consent for sexual touch. It's also about consent and having the right to say yes or no throughout your whole life um, to people. I mean, the big thing is how can I help her to be independent or keeping her safe? I think Lee just sounds like she's doing an excellent job.
1: So it's really about taking that deep breath and trusting the work that, you know, you've done and your daughter has done and then just sort of stepping back and letting go. Yeah, and that's what Lee said. She said,
2: I worry that she might forget this, but if if we have been teaching and supporting and guiding young people to understand um, appropriate touch, one of the things I always find is is that we wait until somebody's a teenager. And then we go, oh, my God, now they're – what if they touch somebody? Because when somebody's a teenager, all of a sudden our touch becomes sexual. But in actual fact, we should be teaching touch and who we touch and how we touch them from when when somebody's a young child. So this isn't just education that starts in puberty. Everything to do about social skills and relationships and – stuff to do with sexuality and sensuality, it actually starts from early childhood. So, you know, it sounds like this family have been doing a really good job in, in doing a lifelong education for this young person and and mum just has to trust that she's done that, that job and, um, and allow her daughter just to give it a go and to be, you know, she wants to hang out with her mates and she wants to go to the park and she wants to be with her friends and that is so
1: fantastic because if she's a teenager, that's exactly what she should be doing. Yes, absolutely. So as you said, just taking that that tricky step of trusting yourself and, and all the work that you've done as a family and, and yeah, enabling her to do all those things that you've worked so hard together for her to do. Yeah. All right, wonderful. Okay. Well, we'll move on to our third question. Mm-hmm. So we have a question from Jamie in Victoria. And Jamie has said, uh, my daughter is very focused on finding a boyfriend. She has started referring to a lot of the men in her life as her boyfriend, including her male teacher. I'm struggling to explain to her that just because a man is nice to you, it doesn't make them your boyfriend. How do I explain this to her and how do I prepare her to find an actual boyfriend? That's a
2: hard one, isn't it? Um, It's a big one for sure. Yeah, and
1: it's once again, I I suppose all I can do is
2: answer all of these in a very generalist way because if I met somebody as an individual, the first thing I'd actually be doing is saying, okay, well, Jamie's daughter, what is her, you know, what's her cognitive capacity and conceptualisation? Because you've got to remember that there's a certain point in every person's development that we all think that everybody's, you know, there's a certain point that kids think they're going to marry their own mother and father or they have a crush on their teacher or they um, talk about this person being their boyfriend only at somebody off the television. So it's also kind of checking in to see where Jamie's daughter is in relationship to that to start with. You know, what's what's her understanding of what a boyfriend is to see? I always check in with the person first to see where are they at developmentally in their understanding of these concepts. And then it's also depending on Jamie's age. But if we get back to really generalist form with it, with every single person that I work with, there's a couple of things I do. Number one, I talk to them about the law and I talk to them about the law of who and who we cannot have relationships with. And that gets back to a few basics. Number one, Nobody under the if you talk, it's about an age thing too, because you're talking about age of consent. But I actually talk to every person I work with that certain people can never ever be your boyfriend or girlfriend, or we can never do sex, sex or sexy touch with them. And those people include any person who is in your life that is paid to help you. So support workers number 1 or every person I work with I help them understand that that is completely not okay and that's a very blurred vision because um, sometimes people you know it's a it's a hard relationship because of course support workers are, are loved in families and carers are loved and it can cross boundaries into friendships and things like that so we've got to make sure people know no support workers teachers you know therapists Anybody who's in our life who gets paid to help us, that's a no-go zone. So, you know, when somebody says, oh, that she wants her teacher to be her boyfriend, well, well that's no because it's illegal. You can't have that to start with. And then it's really helping somebody to understand um, where do we meet boys. You know, if this girl wants a boyfriend, and I'm telling you, a lot of people that I work with come to me and their their goal is, oh, I want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, Um It's really helping them to understand where do we meet people, what age is appropriate for them, and then going back to basics of saying just because somebody's nice to you, that's an understanding of reciprocal relationship. So, And this leaves lots of people vulnerable as well, that if somebody's nice to me, that doesn't mean that they're my boyfriend. What boyfriends and girlfriends and boyfriends and boyfriends and girlfriends and girlfriends girlfriends or any combination that you want is about is about building through reciprocal, building through taking turns. So then it's teaching. Well, when you, ha- I don't know how old this girl is. That's what's making it really hard for me. But you know, you, you'd want to say, okay, what do you, th- what do you have in common with each other? And lots of people don't even know that when we first meet somebody, how do you actually have a conversation with them? How do you know what you have in common? what age range does this person have to be? And I always pull everybody back to say, do you have the skills for a boyfriend or a girlfriend? Because it's also saying, can you go out on a date together? Because if you haven't learned independent skills of, can you go to the movies? Can you buy your own popcorn or your own choc top? Can you be in the movies by yourself? Can you do all of that then really, but having a boyfriend can be difficult. But I think that's the biggest thing. We forget that We have to teach people that relationships are about turn-taking. Every relationship in our life is about turn-taking. So just because somebody smiles at you, that doesn't mean they're your friend. Um, Just because somebody says something nice to you, that doesn't mean that they're your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's helping people understand that we we develop relationships with time and we develop relationships by taking you know,
1: steps in doing that. So that's sort of the education that this young woman needs. So really that, you know, establishing what different types of relationships are and, and what that means. Yeah, yeah. And also going
2: back to, I always say, find out from that person's point of view because sometimes when I talk to people, I say, what? one of the first questions I ever say to people is, why do you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And sometimes they can't even answer. or well, they'll say, oh, because everybody on Home and Away has a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Or... Um, You know, it's or I say to them, What is a boyfriend or a girlfriend? as well, tell me what they do together. And sometimes, what you find is that people don't even have a really good understanding of what that relationship is, they just know all of their peers are doing that, and and it's they want that too. But it's really going back to say, What is a boyfriend or a girlfriend? You know, why do we want a boyfriend or girlfriend? And then, ha- what are the first, very, very basic steps to developing that relationship? The other thing I always check in too is to say, do they have any friends? Because when we talk about that very, remember we're talking about Renee's um, boy about wanting to spend, you know, wanting to develop friendships or not knowing how to develop friends. Sometimes people come to me and they go, "Oh, I really want a boyfriend or a girlfriend." And I go, "Oh, that's great. How many friends do you have?" And they may not be able to name one friend. So it's also helping people understand that learning about to, get, to have an intimate relationship with boyfriend or girlfriend, the practice steps is friendship. We've got to help somebody go, well, let's have a look at your friends you've got. Have you invited a friend to the movies? Have you been out with a friend somewhere independently? Have you, so, you know, pulling people to kind of go, I'm not saying pulling people back, but really going, this is the steps to developing relationships. And developing relationships really starts with that friendship. Outside of
1: family, first steps, friendship. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such a great question because that whole, as you said, I really would like a boyfriend or a girlfriend comes up so much.
2: Well, one of the funny things I find with some of the um, autistic people I work with, well, this is not just autistic people, actually the wider generation. If you say to some people, why do you want a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they start answering in the... they start answering with I or me. So if I said to somebody, this is an example. So if I said to somebody, why do you want a boyfriend or girlfriend? Somebody might say, because I want support. I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to give me a cuddle. I want somebody to take care of me. I want somebody. And as soon as they do that, I often say to people straight in that moment, I say, well, I understand how much work we now need to do because a relationship, there is no I or me. The relationship is really we or us. And so if somebody can't even start talking about because I would like to share, you know, like I would like. So it's kind of almost developing understanding that an intimate relationship or boyfriend or girlfriend relationship isn't about what another person will do for you. Mm. It's about what you will do together. Yeah, so sometimes it's even basic understanding of, um, yeah. I mean, relationships are hard and it's not all about, me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And I think plenty of people are often surprised by that when they enter relationships. Yes, (laughs) that
2: is very true.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Wonderful. Thank you, Jodie. Uh, I will move on to our fourth question, uh, which is from Tim in South Australia. So Tim says, my son wants to ask a girl he is friends with at school on a date. I'm worried about the fallout if she says no, but also worried about if she says yes. How do I prepare him for the possible rejection? Or on the other hand, how do I prepare him for the date? Help, please.
2: Oh, that's very funny. That's very. (laughs) um, Well, there's two main concepts in this, and one of them is that I'd say to Tim, and whenever I'm working with adolescents, I say to them that your adolescence is learning about relationships. Your adolescence is learning about who's going to be a good friend for me, who's going to be a good boyfriend or a girlfriend for me, and and also giving a realistic expectation to people to say, you know, sometimes it, sometimes we go on one date with somebody and then that's it. We, ne- we don't see, you know, sometimes we see somebody for three, you know, a long-term relationship adolescents can sometimes be, oh, we've reached our two-week anniversary. Um, so, you know, having an understanding that those times of our life are actually all about trial and error. And if nearly all of us, if we have been in our teens and early 20s, rejection is part of that. Rejection is learning. If somebody goes, nah, I'm not that into you, then we have to be able to go, okay, That is their choice. This is part of learning about consent too, that if somebody says no, we respect the no. So we have to really teach people that if they are going to put themselves out there, which everybody needs to learn how to be vulnerable and ask somebody out or ask somebody to do something with them, but we have to understand that whatever another person says, if they say no, that is their right because that is called consent. And if they say, yes, beauty, but you may go on one date with them and find you've got nothing in common. So there's two sides to that story. Number one is that when Tim's saying, how do I help somebody um, understand rejection, I don't use the words rejection. I use that relationships are constantly about consent. And so that first step, when we talk about steps of being relationships, if this is a girl from school, if you want to ask her out on a date, that's great. Where are you going to ask? Uh, do you have the ba- you know? Do you have the skills to be able to independently go out on the date? And then before they ask, you use the words consent and say that girl has the right to be consensual whether she goes on a date or she doesn't. It is her choice or his choice if you're talking about it the opposite way. This is always about relationships are embedded with consent every single step of the way. So I actually don't use the word rejection. Because rejection means they don't like you, which is actually not the truth. what the the truth is that sometimes just somebody doesn't want to be your boyfriend or girlfriend, but they're happy being your friend. And it isn't that good. So it's always trying to think of the positive. They may not want to go on a date with you, but they're happy to be your friend because they don't consent to that. So that's number one before really changing that sort of um, conversation around about it's always another person's right to choose. Whether they do them or not, so that's that first one. And then the second one is if the girl says yes. That's how they get to that stage. And what Tim's saying is, oh my god, what do I do for prepare them for the date? So when I talk about first dates with somebody, I, I think I've said before, first of all, you actually have to plan out where this date's going to be, and does the young person have the independent skills to do that on their own? You know, do they still need? Are they are they going to catch the bus by themselves? Are they going to be picked, Is the, you know, the other person going to be picked up by their parents and driven somewhere? Where are they going to go? Are the parents going to be there to support them? Do they need a support worker to go with them? Um, does that young person understand money if they're going to have to purchase a ticket? Uh, is I always say to people the best first dates are activity dates rather than just going out somewhere to sit or, you know, going to the movies is always good because you don't actually have to talk to each other. Uh You know, so it's really thinking about if the the person says yes to the date, then going on the date is all about pre-planning where you go, what are your skills needed to to do that and what is this person's capacity for having a one-on-one conversation with somebody else if they do not have a person there to support that social interaction. So if you're going out just with one other person, there's going to be no parent or no support worker there between the two of you. Do do those two young people have the capacity to, um, you know, communicate with one another and helping somebody learn those communication skills of getting to know someone's really important
1: as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many things to think about uh, when you're on a date. So doing a bit of that preparation and pre-planning, just making sure that that person knows what to do, uh, takes a bit of that pressure off and and can help set them up for success. Uh, That's the last of our questions and all that we have time for today. Thank you so much for joining us, Jodie. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining us on Planet Puberty as we explored puberty and relationships with Joe and Jody. We hope that the stories, information and advice that they shared help you to navigate puberty with your child. All resources and services mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. You can find them at planetpuberty.org.au forward slash podcasts. Our music is Levels by Ketza. For further information on relationships and puberty, you can go to the Planet Puberty website or you can email disability at fpnsw.org.au. Join us in two weeks when we talk about puberty and hygiene.